My name is Blake Holmes. I'm the equipping director here at Watermark. Real excited that you're here. Um, let me tell you about what CounterPoint is all about and kind of what we have in store. Um, the design of CounterPoint is to uh, allow you today to, to listen in on a conversation that I'm going to have with three of my friends about the definition of marriage. We're going to talk about um, subjects, frankly, that usually just aren't addressed at church, but yet are addressed every day in media, in print, on sports radio, on TV, certainly, and in movies. And that's the issues of the definition of marriage, same-sex marriage, sex, homosexuality, cohabitation, um, and all of the uh, topics that um, are entailed with that. And our our hope is, is not not to be provocative just to be provocative's sake, okay, but, our, but our hope is, is to give clear um, answers as to what the Bible has to say on the subject of marriage. And also to equip you so that you could be um, that much more informed on how to respond when asked around the water cooler or at Starbucks what you believe about um, what Scripture teaches. So I want to introduce um, our uh, panel up here. We'll start with, this is Kyle Thompson on the far side, Wes Butler and Scott Kadersha. And Kyle is an, an elder here at Watermark. Wes leads our single parent family ministries and Scott Kadersha is the brain trust at Watermark. And we trust him with everything specifically related to marriage. All things marriage, newly married, preparing to get married, staying married, and on and on. Right, Scotty? That's right. So I'm going to open this up in a word of prayer, and then we're going to, we're going to jump right in, okay? Well, Father in heaven, I want to thank you for um, the opportunity you have given us today just to gather for this, this short hour. And I pray, Father, that you would allow us to really um, hear from you today, to learn from each other. I pray that you'd sharpen our thinking. I pray that you'd bring conviction where uh, we need to be convicted. I pray, Father, that you'd be, bring clarity to our thinking. And um, Lord, you'd bless our time. In Christ's name, amen. All right. Um, right at your uh, table, you'll see there's a three by five card, and this is where we'd love to hear from you. Um, we're going to offer a counterpoint um, pretty often, and we'd love just to hear if there's any topics that would be helpful for you that we can discuss. You can fill that out and let us know what topics would you love for us to address. And you can just um, write that down, and you'll put it on the table back there as you walk out. And then also you'll see there's a there's a resource page that we'll walk through to end our time together. Um, hopefully this will direct you some, to some books and some materials uh, for further study. Okay? All right, so well, let's, let's jump in. And guys, my first question is, is simply this. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to talk about the definition of marriage. We're going to talk about roles. We're going to talk about sex. And, and frankly, we're going to address some issues that, um, having grown up in church, I just didn't hear a lot about. And so um, my first question to you is, why is the church largely silent on a topic which... All of us are discussing, and which we're and being bombarded with every day in movies and TV. Why, in this on this particular subject, is the church largely silent? Um, I, I would start Blake with just the fact that um, I, I think the church has just messed it up. I think uh, I, I think reality is we're reeling a little bit on a lot of these topics uh, because we we have troubled and failed marriages. And we, we got issues we're wrestling with. And I, I think we're not sure, uh, you know, when we see our lives that are uh, disaligned with what God would say, then, then, you know, there's a tendency just to ignore it, not to deal with it, to pretend that it's really okay when the reality is we're dying. And I just think the church is culpable, you know, where, where, where we've not given good Instruction. Uh, we've allowed uh, bad models to be perpetuated in a way that uh, uh, we, we've not been the light of the world that Christ calls us to in, the, in these realms. And, and, and we've not spoken out uh, in truth and in love. Hmm. That's great. Yeah. Did you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, just to piggyback on what Kyle said, it, it is uh, an area where um, the church is at fault historically for, for remaining silent. And, uh, and we weren't meant to remain silent. We were meant to speak up. And the, the scriptures are, are full of instructions and um, 
frankly, even stories of the disasters that are created because of the way that marriage has been um, redefined or redone in some practical sense. Uh, and when the churches remain silent, we, we see, frankly, that um, the outworking of that today. And then, you know, Jesus has commanded us, you know, in Matthew 18, it just talks about, look, if, uh, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and be drowned in the deepest part of the ocean. And, uh, and so the responsibility is on us, and we're culpable for that whether we remain silent or whether we begin to uh, mistreat the scriptures and try to make it say what we want it to say just because that's, uh, it makes us feel better. It, it uh, gives, uh, you know, I think that Todd always talks about the deal that we strike, uh, let a lot of pastors strike with their people of, hey, I'll tell you what you want to hear so that you'll validate me by your presence and, uh, you know, and, and I'll be careful not to say anything that's too hard for you. Um, and in that way, we're, man, we, the church historically kind of deserves to have that millstone hung around its neck uh, in some respects. So. so, Wes, you mentioned um, the idea of marriage being redefined, which is going to lead me to um, our next set of questions here. And, and basically what we see on TV, whether it's Modern Family or books that we're reading right now or movies, um, or even what we're being faced with with legislation right now and what our politicians are discussing is this whole idea of what, what makes a marriage. So I'd like to hear from um, you guys. How would you define marriage? Yeah, so the problem is, is that we have allowed, when I say we, I mean the church has allowed culture to redefine what marriage is. That's why we're doing this today. That's why same-sex marriage and divorce and remarriage and cohabitation are the issues that we're dealing with and struggling with in the church and in cultures because we've allowed that definition to change. And so even though culture has changed, God's word has not changed. And God is not, is not silent on the topic. And so um, you know, the way that we would say that marriage is defined is that it's a covenant relationship. It's not a contract. It's not a, it's not a sacrament. It's a covenant. And the way that God is in covenant relationship with you and I the way he's in covenant with relationship with the church that is unbreakable, unconditional, different from any other relationship. The marriage relationship is the same way. And we see that as God, uh, in his words, speaks about marriage being a covenant. And then in Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, we see that God relates to his people in the same way that we are to relate to one another in marriage, as husband and wife in a covenant relationship. And so the implications of that are huge. It means that it's not something we just bounce in and out of, and it's not something that's temporary. Rather, a covenant relationship, the way that that the body of Christ and God's word and who God is defines marriage, says that it's permanent, it's exclusive, it's mutual, it causes us to be faithful to one another, it's sacred, it's different than any other relationship, and holy. And so even though culture has allowed it to be messed up and the church allows it to be messed up, God has not changed his view on what marriage is. Yeah, Yeah, and we, uh, what we are uh, not great at is creating. What we are great at doing is taking what has been created and distorting it. And and so that's what we see um, playing itself out in culture right now is just a distortion of what God set in place and what Jesus even reaffirmed, uh, you know, when when he walked the earth. And so in Genesis 2, God established marriage. Uh, It was clear what his pattern was from the beginning, which was one man and one woman pursuing intimacy uh, forever, that it was uh, a bond that was only meant to be broken uh, by death. And then Jesus comes back in Matthew 19 and Mark 10, and he just reaffirms that. And, and as the Pharisees are trying to, frankly, talk about the distortion of their day uh, and the redefinition of their day and trying to trap Jesus and, and get him to say, frankly, what they wanted him to say rather than what was true, Jesus just goes right back to the creation pattern that, that God had set in place and said, look, God, who is the ancient of days, uh, who is infinitely wise and stands outside of time, has said in his infinite wisdom, this is what marriage should look like. And you guys want to, in your finite wisdom, try to redefine it in all these different ways. But we have to continue to, over and over again, return to what is true and right and what God uh, himself has established as an infinitely wise and good God. So I hear words like covenant. Marriage is between one man, one woman. I hear um, the permanency of marriage. All those things you all spoke of, the definition. And and just to play devil's advocate here, um, I think many people would argue that your definition of marriage is outdated, frankly. Um, It's passe. I mean, given today's divorce rate, it's even 
uh, you would, I could argue that marriage is broken the way you define it, that, that model. Um, so haven't we really moved beyond that, that definition of marriage? It, I mean, what y'all are suggesting. And when I grew up, I watched Leave it to Beaver and, I, you know, the black and white film and Ward and June. And, and that's kind of what I, so what you're describing, I think of that and I go, that's, that's not reality. That's not how we're living today. So speak to that. So, Blake, I'm going to agree with you. Okay. It, it's broken. And the, and the broken, the reason it's broken is because of the ways that we did the same thing that Wes was saying. Jesus was speaking to the folks 2,000 years ago. Man, you guys have really, you messed this thing up. And it is not being executed the way I intended. And, and when I say that, I, I'm, I'm talking about the church, you know. I'm not just talking about our culture and our world. And so, you know, I mean, that, that's where... Um, you know, I think we always have to go back to, you know, just the reality of John 10.10 10, that, you know, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And so I created marriage. I designed it uh, to be between a man and a woman with specific roles. And so when you guys distort uh, and manipulate and uh, twist what I designed uh, with what it means to lead, what it means to love, what it means to submit, then uh, don't be surprised with what you got, you know, and, 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 and that maybe you want something different. And it's not that you want something different, it's the fact that you have not received and walked with me in a way that I designed marriage to be. And so I, I get it. I mean, I, I understand why folks say, well, you know, all I know is if that's Christian marriage, I'm, I'm not in for that. Because uh, it's not been modeled for us, we don't understand it. A lot of us growing up didn't see it in our own families, and we just, and, and again, we may not see it in the church, or it may be distorted, and so we just don't understand what this abundant life is that God has set us up for in marriage. Okay, so you, you, the problem on that is that even though some people, for many couples, it is broken, doesn't mean that the designer or the design of it is broken. And so, yes, we can point to many couples that are that are struggling that have broken this thing, but. And what, a, what an amazing source of life that marriage is when you're doing it the way that God intends it to. And I think we cheapen it at times. We say because the world is taking it and it is broken, and therefore the whole institution is broken, the institution of marriage is unbelievable. You know, there, there's unbelievably beautiful and hard in a way that, that allows us to be sanctified and become more like Christ like no other relationship does. And so even though it's broken, it, it works when you do it the way it's intended to be. Yeah, and we're all prone to, uh, we, we all want to, in our own selfishness, we want to point to the, out, you know, the outside factors that, you know, I'm not broken. Those things are broken. So the definition is broken. The definer is broken. The, uh, the other person I'm married to is broken or, or whatever the case might be. And, and so that, that's the, frankly, that's the um, convenient way to look at it. As opposed to going, look, the, the reason that this thing is broken is because we're broken. At our very core, we're born into sin. Uh, we are sinful. None of us is righteous, not even one of us. None of us are seeking God in his way. Um, and, and in order for marriage to be all that it can be, that means I have to submit to that and acknowledge that I'm broken and I need a Savior. I need someone outside of my marriage, outside of myself, to correct me, not to redefine and to correct the definition. So, Kyle, I want to lean in a little bit to, you mentioned words, like you, you talk about the roles, and then you mentioned words like leadership and submission. So let's, let's unpack that for a second. So um, do you still hold, Kyle, to the outdated notion yeah. that a husband is to be the leader of the home, that a wife's to submit to her husband's leadership? What's yeah, that look like? And, and so, uh, again, this is where we get into trouble with terms and what those terms mean, you know, what God's definition of those terms are. And so, uh, and, and you take sinful people that want to serve themselves, guilty as charged, mm-hmm. and take a term like lead and say, well, I know what I, I think I want, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, that's right. and, and, and that's where I love how God says, man, you've got to strap in and trust me. Because if, if you if you I, I I want everything is good for you, but you got to do it the way I designed it. And so, uh, you know, a lot of us uh, don't do it the way God designed it, and we experience the consequences of that, and and that will drive us back. So what you know what really is up with this? And so I, I think of just even you, you talking about lead, you know, what that means in our culture, 
and uh, and what it can mean. And so, you know, God's definition of leadership in Mark 10 where he talks about, hey, he, he who wants to be the first must be last, and he who wants to be great must be servant of all. Uh, you know, guy, a guy's role in marriage is to, you know, just love your wife as Christ loved the church. No big deal. You know, gave himself up for her. Oh, okay. So, so leadership is, man, I, I just got to love her to death. I've got to cherish her. I nourish her. I encourage her. I honor her. I live with her in an understanding way. And so that's, that's a whole new definition of leadership. But we all know that... Uh, you know, and I think of it in the context of my dad. You know, and a lot of us had dads. And so if I had a dad growing up that loved me, that encouraged me, that wanted to figure out how, how's Kyle gifted and wired, because I want to set him up for success. And I'm going to serve him. And, you know, my role as a dad to do everything I can to build into him and help him be successful in life. I mean, who wouldn't want a dad like that? Yeah. And so if I'm a wife, I'd say, man, who wouldn't want a husband that's going to sacrifice and cherish me to the point of death. Mm-hmm. But again, when it gets to application, it's just, I get, God says, that's where the goodies are. And so trust me, mm-hmm. trust me. And it's going to be sweet, guys, when you do this. That's think along those lines, if, if we really do believe that we are created in the image and likeness of God, and he says we're created in, in the triune image of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we are not, that does not mean whether we are male or female, black, white, old, young, that somehow one person is greater than the other. We are seen as equals in God's eyes, man and woman. And so yeah, the idea of submission, I think the way that culturally it is defined, would, it's really easy to walk away and say, yeah, that means that the man is greater because he is the head and the woman is inferior because she submits. Mm-hmm. Yet biblically, if you look at what, the way that God has defined who we are as human beings, and then if you look at the way that he has designed marriage in Ephesians 5, and if you look at the way he talks about the Trinity in 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 15, you see submission within the Trinity even. So the, the Son submits to the Father, the, son, the Spirit submits to the Son, the Spirit submits to the Father, and so we know that Father, Son, Holy Spirit are, are equal to one another. Mm-hmm. And so you can't say that because the Son submits that he is inferior to the Father. In the same way, it says in Ephesians 5 that the wife submits to her husband. Same word is used, the same type of relationship. And so even though culture may say submit means uh, that you're inferior, rather it's a position of greatness. And you're likened to Jesus Christ. When the wife comes alongside and submits to her husband, then it's a position of greatness that does not make her inferior, but rather she's absolutely equal just has a different role and a different function, just like the Father, Son, and Spirit have different functions. So it's an issue of the difference between role versus rank, if you will, is what you're saying. That's a good way to say it. And so that's great in theory, but practically speaking, what what does that look like on a day-to-day basis, Mm -hmm. that that relationship between husband and wife and headship or leadership and submission? Mm -hmm. What's that look like? Uh, well, I, you know, I've had to learn that the hard way. Uh, because, uh, I learned it the easy way, Kyle. <laughs> I should have. You should have mentored me. That's right. <laughs> Not uh, at all. Because you know, I did. I tried it the way that I thought. You know, there's there's a way that seems right to a man, and it's end as a way of death. And so that's my marriage story. Uh, but God brings dead things back to life. And so, uh, you know, realizing. God loved me enough to let me try it that way and say, hey, big boy, you know, there's a reason that you got what you got. And it's because you didn't follow me. You did not. How could I be any more clear? You know, I don't know how you can misunderstand those passages. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, and so for me now, and and again, I think that the thing that where I got clarity was that, uh, you know, marriage is not a partnership. It's a it's a covenant. It's unconditional, regardless of what my wife does. That doesn't change what I'm supposed to do. And so, you know, God doesn't call me to make my wife submit. He calls me to love her to death. Hmm. And so what he tells her is between him and her. What he tells me is between me and him. Hmm. And so for me, you know, again, I, I'm, a, I'm a little bit simplistic. And so I just wake up each day and, uh, I, mean, I mean, literally I think, okay, uh, how do I... You know, my, my role, responsibility is to cherish and nourish, encourage, understand, and honor my wife. And so uh, 
I need to know what she's got going on today. How can I pray for her? What's going on in her world? Uh, are there things that I can do to help her and to set her up for success in what she's doing? Can I make her load lighter? Uh, you know, Matthew 11. And so uh, that that is kind of what it fleshes out. I, I love how, uh, how God tells us, you know what, just... Man, just figure out what faithfulness means today. You don't have to worry about, uh, you know, th- throw away your five-year plan on how I'm going to make my marriage better. Man, do what I ask you to today. Mm-hmm. And if you do that today, then wake up tomorrow and do the same thing. And so for us, I mean, it's very, uh, I- I'm a planner, and so it's counterintuitive to me. Mm-hmm. But it is great because it's it's... Very interactive, you know, and it changes constantly with what Lucina's got going on. You know, I, I we, we had some things happen last night, and and so I just had to keep telling myself, all right, my my job is to not to fix her, to tell Lucina what she needs to do. It's to understand her, honor her, cherish, nourish, pray with her, and so that I've got to I've got to run that through my grid every day. And God says, man, if you just do that, it's going to be sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, 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 and I think there's a just to piggyback on Kyle's idea of loving to death. You know, sometimes we want uh, we want that to look like Braveheart at the end where he gets beheaded and it's over, right? <laughs> uh, but at the end of the day, marriage is a daily dying. It's frankly getting my head locked off day after day after day after day of what I want. Uh, of what my selfish desires are, um, and, and likewise for my wife, um, that when our marriage is as it should be in the eyes of God, it is, hey, everything is, I'll sacrifice anything if it means that I love you better and that we together are more like Christ. Mm-hmm. And anytime our marriage is not where it should be, it is a distortion of that, where I don't want to die. I want to I live. I want to live like I want to live. I want to um, experience this day like I want to experience it be comfortable or, or, you know, just, it's just selfishness. And so it is, um, you know, it's a daily dying. It's not just this one moment in time where you're martyred. It is every day going, you know what, I, because I love you and because I have been bought with a price of the blood of Christ, I, I want to serve you in the way that, that I've been served by my Savior. You know, I think the, um, part of the reason we are where we are today is because Men have not been taught how to lead, and women have not been taught what it looks like to be a godly wife. And so you didn't tell me to plug the men's study coming up next week, but mm-hmm. what a great opportunity. You know, the, a few good men starts next Thursday morning, mm-hmm. 7 to 8. I'm encouraging everyone I know to go to that thing to learn what it looks like to be a godly man, a godly husband, a godly father, a godly friend, and to work that out within community, within my own marriage. I am not born with this perfect ability to, to lead my wife well in the same way that my wife does not know how to, how to be a great submitter or completer or helper. We've got to learn it through God's Word and through community, through His Spirit. And so I love that you know, even in this body of Christ, we've got opportunities to learn how to grow into that. It just doesn't come naturally to us. So community is a word we throw around all the time at Watermark. Somebody tell me, what does that mean? We've got to learn that through community. What, what does that mean? Yeah. One thing, one thing I, I think of is just, you know, Proverbs 13, 20. It says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, mm-hmm. and the companion of fools suffers harm. Mm-hmm. I just know that when I'm left on my own, I'm a fool. And so I need godly men, godly women around me that are going to help spur me on towards love and good deeds, that are going to admonish me when I need to be admonished, that are going to be encouraging when I need to be encouraged, that are going to celebrate with me, and so that the form of it, I think, what it looks like could look many different ways. And here, most of the time, it's a community group, but it's any time a friend or a, a group of friends pushes us to be more like Christ, and just doesn't let us slide away and act on our own. So, are there any subjects, guys, that in community that are off limits for you guys in your community groups or amongst the friends who are helping you to be wise? Are there things you just go, hey? Or is everything on the table? We don't we don't talk about money or sex because those are private issues that we think should be shared. With Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. That's personal. That's personal. And anything else that I have a personal vendetta yeah. for. Uh, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. No. No. How would you answer that, Kyle? Uh, no. <laughs> and I, I, again, it's it's amazing just how much of. Uh, Following Christ is counterintuitive because I, I think I'm smart, you know, and there's a way that seems right to me. Uh, and, uh, you know, he who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom, Proverbs 18.1. And so I'm, I'm a Proverbs 18.1 guy. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think I'm smart. I think I know how to love my wife. And, again, I, I saw where that got me. And I, one of the things that, that I didn't understand until, you know, 12 years ago is just one of God's greatest provisions for me are the people that he puts in my life. And, you, you know, I, I always go back to Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 because it's, it's the, the passage that talks about a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And so when I think about those, those strands are so interwoven, you can't even tell uh, that they're, you know, it's every area aspect of their life. So when you ask me, is there any area off limits, then that's the picture that comes to mind. You know, it's, we're, we're bound together in a way that these guys are there to help me. And, and it does include, you know, you, you, you mentioned sex. And so, man, you know, those guys spur me, and they spur me in a context that, that's not dishonoring to my wife and the intimacy of our physical relationship. Yeah. Man, you know, let's, I won't get, you know, just ways I need to be we'll more get there. And, what is what's that? We'll get there. Yeah. We'll get there. <laughs> what I, want, I want to return back to the definition of marriage a little bit because that's obviously a hot topic right now. Politically, even, it's a hot topic. And, again, you spoke of permanency, you spoke of the covenant, you spoke of between a, a man and a woman. Um, but the, the question that's often asked, and one I'd like to ask you all, is if two people love one another, why would you be against their getting married, regardless of whether or not it's homosexual or heterosexual? I mean, clearly, even in the heterosexual marriage, you've got 50% divorce rates, you know, I've already spoken to how it's, marriage is, is broken, and if two people love each other and they're committed to each other, who cares whether or not they're gay? Yeah, and I, I think God cares, you know. And yeah. and, uh, and so again, as we just, um, you know, we, we have this idea that this thing is going to progress in a positive way, mm-hmm. um, and, and we're just, frankly, our culture and we, as part of that culture, are just arrogant enough to believe that. That hey, if we just keep kind of keep working at this and tweaking it where we think it needs to be tweaked, and th- then maybe we'll get to some place where it's just man, it serves everybody well and everybody's happy, and it just the divorce rates down. And yet it, it, it would appear that the opposite is happening, which is with every little tweak that we make to marriage looking the way that it, uh, you know, when the Enlightenment came about, and all of a sudden marriage begins to be more about me, and then divorce rates mm-hmm. climbed from there, mm-hmm. as opposed to you know, kind of pre-Enlightenment when it was this. Uh, community aspect. It was a it was a, uh, a mutual agreement for the mutual building up of both spouses and the children that were involved. And all of a sudden, we said, "Well, no, no, we can make it better by making it more about me." And so that's all we're doing going forward today, which is you know whether it's uh, heterosexual divorce rates or whether it's a homosexual you know. Uh, uh, community begging for the same rights and, and wanting those things. They're just saying, look, I, I think I can tweak this and make this better. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, historically, we would just look back and go, well, look, if, if past performance is an indicator of future you know, uh, behavior, then we're, we're just we're continuing to perpetuate this, this faulty sense that we know better than God. And when we look at where God established, we're, we're all trying to get back to Eden. That's what we're trying to do. And yet, when we look at what God established in Eden... It was defined in the sense of one man and one woman pursuing intimacy forever. And so any tweak that we make to that is just a distortion of what God intended and is ultimately for, to our detriment and not to our benefit. And, and so let me, let me just piggyback on what Wes said because I, I think you set it up extremely well, Wes. And, and just any time we redefine you know, what God intended and, and distort it, and we do that a lot of different ways, then then we will suffer. And for example, Blake, you ask about, you know, just redefining marriage. You know, I mean, what's the big deal? Let's, uh, you know, let those folks are not hurting me, you know, and I, I get it. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm a perverted man. I can pervert things with the best of them in ways that uh, are dishonoring to God. And so, but, but as you define that in society, what happens is, well, let, let's just... If we're going to redefine it as a man and a man, then let, let's also allow the folks that say, hey, I'm a man and I'd like to have five wives, just because, you know, that's it's in our home and that's what would serve me well. And then I'm, I'm a man who, I, I've got a good-looking sister, you know, and so I, I'd like to marry my sister. By the way, my dad died, and so I'm going to start having sex with my mom. And, 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 and even, you know, the next extension, I've got a little brother that's, 
20 years younger than me, and he and I have a fondness and a love for each other. And so the depth of that fondness and love has manifested itself physically now, but we love each other. We're for each other. And so, uh, and, and by the way, we want all the rights that everybody else has. I want to be able to adopt children and raise them. And by the way, you know, I live in the U.S. and we have public education, and so we, we need to redefine education in a way that makes allowances for all these things. And so, you know, as my kids go to school, they need to understand that they've got the freedom to choose from the smorgasbord of uh, what God would say perversion. And then, and then I, you know, I'm a farmer and I got some good looking sheep out here. And I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And because we're already trying to humanize animals, too. And so I don't know why you wouldn't allow that. And so you say, well, wait a minute. What? Wait a minute. But that's the slippery slope you go down. And so all we're saying is, man, you know, I, this is not my idea. You know, as Wes said, this is God's idea. It's His design. And so that's, that's I think, what we're trying to get back to. And when we don't, you know, as a, as a society, we suffer for that. But the argument, Kyle, is, I mean, let, let's just say that everyone in this room would go, hey, you mentioned sheep. Well, that's the ridiculous. You know, what, what, we're talking about two grown men who love each other and who feel like their civil rights, mm-hmm. you, they don't have the same civil yeah. rights you do. And so um, aren't you imposing your religion on them? And aren't we as a, as a society saying, taking something away from them when they feel as if, mm-hmm. hey, that's the way God's made them? Yeah, and, and I, I get it, Blake, because we all have dispositions for a number of different things. And mm-hmm. so, uh, again, it's getting back to God's standard, what he intended. This is not my idea. It's not a watermark thing, right. you know. And so, uh, and, and, and again, I, I think we are culpable for not doing this in a loving way. Somehow separating the fact that, uh, you know, for years I struggled with pornography and somehow that's less dishonoring to God in the context of my marriage than what those two guys are doing. I mean, come on. Right. But, again, that, that's how I can twist. And so I, I, I get it, the baggage that we have, the, the ways that we... we not only can but do come across you know as judgmental and high and mighty and you know just because this is your idea and you know i loved just we were talking earlier with scott just reminding you know just always leading with first Thess five you know just encouraging the faint heart to help the weak uh you know doing it with meekness with gentleness with love being you know uh, being motivated in everything we do by love. Mm-hmm. You know, if love is motivating and generating uh, and helping me initiate the way I, I engage with you, then uh, uh, again, I, I, I get it. And, and I want to make sure that we, we do not do, as you said, come across that this is just happens to be our definition, our idea. And so, why is your idea better than mine? Yeah, yeah. Fr- frankly, there are there are many same-sex couples that treat each other better than the heterosexual couples I know. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that it's right. God would say throughout His Word, cover to cover, that that homosexuality is a sin, and so God is not going to bless a marriage, something that's sacred. He's not going to bless a marriage and say that it's sacred and holy if it's absolutely sinful in its inherent nature. So it's, just, it's almost an oxymoron to say same-sex marriage because God is not going to bless that sinful relationship. So, so Scott, speak to this. Um, Kyle touched on it. If, if what you say is true, then how do I address my homosexual friend who is, who is living in a yeah. loving, committed relationship? Mm-hmm. What, what do you say to him? Yeah, I'd say first, um, the church has done a horrible job of doing that. We've not done a, a good job of loving uh, homosexual community. We have not done a good job of representing Christ to them. And so, as Kyle said, we've elevated some sins to be more significant than others. Mm-hmm. And so we have failed in that. And so the way I would answer your question is probably turn it right back on you. I'd say, Blake, what, what are, what's your deepest, darkest sin struggle that you want to share with this room? <laughs> even, even less. You know? well, there's a long list. So we'll yeah. start with lack of trust in God, lack of faith, anger, pride, selfishness. Yeah, that's a lot. Lust. Yeah, it goes down. on. Yeah. <laughs> you you so can I, write them all down. Yeah. So, I, so the same way that I would address your anger and your pride and your selfishness and your lust mm-hmm. is the same way that I would address somebody who, who struggles with same-sex marriage or is sinning in that way. I would, I would do it lovingly. I would love you in the same way that Jesus loves me. I would love them in that same fashion. Mm-hmm. I'd point them to truth. I'd admonish them when they need to be admonished. I'd point out... Um, mm-hmm. 
where they're falling short and I would, I would mm. do whatever I would do for you that I would do for them or what I would expect you to do for me. I'm not going to treat them any differently. I'm going to love them the same way I would any other brother or sister in Christ who's struggling in that way. Yeah, and I think you know Galatians six one speaks to that and 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 following where you know we are encouraged to uh, when a brother is caught in sin to restore him gently um, and and again that's where I think the church has failed that gently we've just kind of uh, especially with this community with the the homosexual community we've somehow crossed that out of our Bibles and just say oh, I'm just gonna reprimand him and restore him in that way but with gentleness to do that and then with a humility that follows there where it talks about but hey don't think that you too can't fall. Right, and so watch yourself. Uh, and so, so often we come, and that that is the sense that um, our, our friends who struggle with uh, homosexuality get from us is like, you think you're so much better than me, right? And so, because of that, uh, they they don't want to listen, they don't want to hear us. Whereas when we come, we go, look, I. My struggles look completely different than yours, mm-hmm. uh, but they hurt me just as deeply when I give full vent to them. And, and I love you too much to just watch you continue to hurt yourself over and over again. And so I love you, and I want to restore you with gentleness. So we talked about roles. We've, we've talked about marriage being, be- being between a, a woman and a, and a man. But let's talk about the whole, get back to the idea of it being a permanent, the permanence of marriage. Um, so... Suppose you've been in a difficult marriage okay, for years, and, and you're both tired of being miserable. <laughs> you're killing each other. Uh, are you ever allowed to divorce? And if so, when? Everyone looks at me. Yeah. All right. And, uh, so, <laughs> Go ahead. Wes. It's so funny. Somehow, like uh, eight years ago, I became the divorce expert on our staff. And I don't know. I still have no clue how that happened. Uh, I just kind of did. But, um, yeah, so I think a, a couple of things. So we, we've talked about just this idea of, uh, of our distortions of what God has created. And, uh, and divorce is, is yet another distortion. And then, you know, the reality is, is that God is not, um, he is not ignorant to uh, our, our struggles and our pains. And so often when people uh, ask that question, what's, what's built into that is, look, you don't know the reality of what I'm dealing with. You don't know the pain that I'm going through. You don't understand how difficult this is, the challenges that I face. And, and in essence, they just say they, they feel like God is this heavy-handed judge who sits up in the sky somewhere uh, and, and just, you know, just wants to beat them. And yet, when, what we see in the scriptures, even when God does speak about divorce, is we see a loving God who recognizes that we are all capable of distorting this thing called marriage uh, and, and doesn't want us to... Um, uh, doesn't want his children to be the victims of those distortions. And so when, in the Old Testament, when God gave the law to Moses and he made provisions for divorce, the, the heart of that provision was not to give the easy way out, which is where the Pharisees came back to Jesus in Matthew 19. Hey, God gave us an easy way out, right? Jesus goes, no, he didn't give you an easy way out. He gave you a means to protect those who would be the victims of the hardness of heart of others. And in this sense, women who would just be cast on the side of the road and left for dead, essentially, when a husband would just say, hey, I'm, I'm just done with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so even when God speaks about divorce and where he does provide some allowances, it is always for the purpose of protection, not as an easy, okay, now I get to get out and I get to go play with a different set of playmates, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, instead, God speaks in Deuteronomy 24 and he gives provision there. Uh, he speaks, you know, when Jesus is questioned by the Pharisees in Matthew 19 and Mark 10, that same Account Jesus says, "Look, there, uh, it's because of the hardness of your heart that God that uh, God gave Moses this this permission." And I'm telling you, though, don't divorce, right? And he goes right back to the creation account, and he says, "Look, this is what God intended. Go back to that." And uh, and then he did make a provision for where adultery was was in play. And then in First Corinthians seven, when Paul uh, is speaking to uh, the Corinthian church, and he says, "Look, again, don't get divorced." Uh, especially if you're two believers, don't get divorced. If you do divorce, reconcile or stay single. Um, and then he goes on and says, but, you know, if you're married to a non-believer because these pagans who had gotten married or now one of them becomes a believer and the other one's abandoning them. And so he made a provision there for um, uh, for a, a believing spouse to not be bound by an unbelieving spouse who would who would abandon them. And, uh, and yet in all of that, what you see, when you kind of put all of those things together, what you see is the common denominator is an unrepentance. It is, I want to do what I want to do. And so I, I say often, hey, divorce is never a result of adultery or abandonment or abuse. 
Those are kind of three helpful labels that we can put on things. But so often people want to go, what's the magic bullet? Give me something. You tell me this. Where uh, divorce is a result of unrepentance. It is, yes, I'm an adulterer, and I don't care that I'm going to commit adultery again and again and again on you. Yes, I am an abuser, and I don't care. Right? And, and that's where divorce uh, plays itself out. So God did make provisions for the protection of his people. Uh, but again, what we want to do is we want to stretch that out. We want to find, hey, but, but what about this? And what about this? And I'm not happy here. So. Kyle, you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I, I, uh, I mean, this is an area I get a little bit, uh, my, my blood starts running. Uh, because, uh, again, part, I alluded earlier to my history, our, our history, and, you know, just the fact that, uh, you know, as Wes said, God, uh, uh, you know, in Malachi 2, God says that he hates divorce. In Matthew 19, he says, what God has joined, let no man separate, you know. And so... Uh, but the reality is, you know, if I'm if I'm in the middle of that, I'm looking for the get out of jail free card. That's right. You know, and so hey, adultery that all right. And so, um, or what if we just both agree this didn't work anymore? Yeah, we'll yeah, make each other happy yeah. and just right. And, and so you know, I am so thankful. You know, I mean, uh, that my wife when we were at that point, and she just said, "Man, I, I'm praying." You know, I know uh, death is clearly a get-out-of-jail-free card, and so I'm going to pray for your death. And so, uh, you know, that way there's no question. I people think you're kidding when you say that. No, yeah, I'm honest. I mean, yeah. that, that, that is uh, where we were. And so, uh, but, but the great thing is that she felt like she had made a vow to God to stay married until death do us part. Those words meant something to her. It didn't feel like there was any hope. So where she ended up was that, so when he dies, man, I can live, you know? And so I'm gonna, I know that's what God wants for me. He wants me to live. He doesn't want me to be in misery, but he also hates divorce. And, and so anyway, just, you know, I look back and I am so thankful that my wife said, hey, I, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to continue to do what God calls me to do. And I'm going to. Uh, allow God to change my husband and transform him, and so, and I, I would, you know, you hear this whole adultery thing, and I, I love, you know, Sermon on the Mount's one of my favorite passages, and because Jesus is speaking to the heart, and you know, a little further down, he, you know, he talks about adultery and you know the get out of jail free card, but but five or six verses before that, in Matthew five twenty seven and twenty eight, he says, "You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery." But I tell you, everyone that looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> you know, that, that's, that may be 99% of the guys in our church. I'm not talking about Dallas, you know. Yeah. And so uh, that means we all have a get-out-of-jail-free All of our wives do. And so just, again, just recognizing, man, what, what's God... Uh, what's his design? What's his desire? He wants to set me up for success. He can take uh, wherever I am. Uh, he can take a guy that's a terrorist killing believers and turn him into the one of the most impactful believers in our New Testament. That's just what he does, you know. And so, but sometimes it's easy to lose hope. And so for me, man, when I when I come across folks, I just you know I say, man, don't give up. And I've got. You know, Lucina and I have a 21 and a 22 year old kids that celebrate that mom and dad stuck it out. You know, because they are living, uh, they're they're bathing, basking. You know, in, in the joy of having mom and dad that deeply love each other. Lucina and I, you know, are experiencing joy beyond what we ever thought was imaginable, even before we got married. Right. Well, how's that possible? Man, it's just strapping in. You know. The guy knows what he's talking about. But it's, it's hard sometimes because there's a way that that seems a little foreign to what I feel like doing. Mm-hmm. So, the, only, the only thing I would add to that, Kyle, it's, just, it's not just your son and your daughter. It's thousands yeah. that benefit in this body because of your faithfulness to one another. And because you didn't back out when you could have or when Lucina could have. So, Scott, I want to uh, address this question to you and as the... The guy on our staff that spends the most time with pre-married couples. Okay, so we've already established yeah. that marriage is tough. Yeah. And and I'm sure I'm sure that you're going to agree with me that one that divorce rates high, higher than it should be, right? And two, people change over time, right? Yeah. So if both of those are true, then 
why not just cohabitate for as long as the relationship works? Just avoid the whole marriage thing. Live with each other. See if it works. I mean, have you ever you know, bought a car without test driving it? Yeah, I'm about to get out of my chair and punch you. Right now. So, um, <laughs> so yeah. but, but, but why not? It just yeah. it does seem a little funny that we would, you can date, you know. and Yeah, yeah so I mean, a couple thoughts on that. Um, one, I'm thrilled that we have couples that live together that come to this church and come to be a part of what we're doing at, at the porch and at Merge, at the premarital ministry. I'm thrilled that we are reaching people who, who are living there. And I, I would just say I get it. Uh, I absolutely understand why that is where many in our culture are headed. Mm-hmm. Friends are doing it. Coworkers are living together. Mom and dad even are telling a couple that you need to live together and test drive the relationship before you get married, which I always want to respond, she's not a car, she's a person. Mm. And so you don't test drive a person. Mm. Uh, And they'll say that you need to live with one another to see if the thing works. And I just say, first of all, it's not not God's design. I I can trust what God's design is, which says, a man shall leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. And so we form our family, we form our house together after we get married, not before it. And then I would say that I could just trust God's design in that, uh, and that even though it may look like that's what makes sense to test the relationship, there's so many better ways to test your relationship other than living together. Mm-hmm. That you serve together, you're in community together, you go to church together, you communicate with one another, you conflict, you talk about expectations, you talk about Jesus. That's how you test the relationship. You don't move in together to test the relationship. And, and I think this is... We are not seeing the full effects of cohabitation yet. Mm-hmm. I think years down the road, we're seeing it now to some degree, but it's going to be even more so down the future. The divorce rates are higher when couples live together. Everything that's supposed to go up goes down. Everything that's supposed to go down goes up. And so violence increases, abuse increases, financial difficulties increase, frequency of sex decreases, um, just poor parenting and satisfaction in life go the opposite direction of where they're supposed to. And so cohabitation is, again, one of our worldly solutions to try to fix something that's outside of God's plan and outside of God's design. Yeah, and this is where you know, our culture tells us um, you know, that, that maturity looks like, uh, frankly, the, it, maturity is doing what you want to do because you're, you're a big boy. You can do what you want to do. And, uh, and so cohabitation becomes, uh, is, a, is an outworking of that where we just go, well, look, I'm, I'm a grown-up, and, and I can do what I want to do, and I don't have to abide by any rules. And yet when we look in the Scriptures, and, and so frankly what we do is we throw away self-control. We go, well, look, I can't control myself. I want to have sex with you, uh, but I just don't want to commit to you in marriage. And so let's just live together, and, and we can have sex. And so we just kind of throw self-control out the window. And yet when we look at the way that we were designed, it is that we were designed to be as children who are depraved and none of us are seeking God, to be raised by godly parents who would not point us to independence, but would point us to a deeper level of dependence on God and His ways. Uh, and, and then in that to go, you know what, a sign of maturity is not I get to give full vent to whatever my flesh wants. A sign of maturity is that I am self-controlled and that I can engage in a relationship with uh, a woman who I'm considering marriage uh, with and I can do so in such a way that she, uh, we build trust with each other in the way that I control myself, in the way that I honor her, in the way that I don't just kind of run through all the stop signs that, that God has very clearly put in place for me in marriage. And to build trust that way with this woman so that when we do enter into marriage, there's, just a, there's a solid foundation there of faithfulness, of love, and of sacrifice um, that, I, that, that my wife could hopefully look at and go, well, look, we, we started here, and let's build on that. So let me, let me push this into an awkward subject here, maybe for some of us, but we've thrown up the topic of sex several times. So biblically speaking, in a married, marriage relationship, what is the purpose of sex? Kyle, I'll let you answer. Come on, Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> it's... it's uh, you know, and, and it's a great question. It, it is part of the goodie bag, you know. I, I mean, it is, uh, that's where you, you think about sex in, with, outside the context of marriage. It's like that's an outgrowth of the intimacy that you're developing with your wife, you know. And uh, our sexual relationship is, a, is in direct correlation to how we're doing working through conflict, how I'm doing, loving her, cherishing her, nourishing her. It's not a function of, 
you know, how many miles I ran last week, you know, and how I look in the mirror, you know. And it, it's a function of how am I doing in unconditionally dying to myself and loving my wife. And, again, it's just, uh, it's, it's great, you know. And I, I can see why people want to do it, you know. <laughs> I, I get it before they're married because it is unbelievable. But it's just like, you, you know, the old-fashioned example we use of the fire. Man, when it when it's twenty degrees outside, a fire in the fireplace is unbelievable. It's a great, you know, just you talk about relaxing, and but you take that and you put it in the middle of the house with wood floors, and it's going to burn your house down. It's not intended for that, <laughs> and so but it's a great thing. And so uh, again, I, I love that God uh, created that, and He did it, and you know He uses very graphic terms, you know let. Uh, yeah, you know, I was, I was just look, Proverbs seven. I love, you know, of course, I'm a guy, you know. <laughs> so, uh, you know, re- just rejoicing in her as a loving hind and a graceful doe. Let her breath satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated, man. I'm all for that. I mean, that's fun. And it's like God says that, and that's what I created it for in so, the context of your marriage. So, it's an opportunity to glorify God too. I mean, I think He gives us a taste of what. Heaven is going to be like. It's, he says, glorify me through the way you love one another as husband and wife. And that helps us see the greatness and goodness of our God that he would allow us to experience some of that now. So let me ask you all this. So um, you speak of how sex is wonderful and the marriage relationship. But what is your counsel to someone who is married but not sexually satisfied? And how do, you, how do you counsel them? How do you encourage them? And then to follow up with that, is, um, is pornography an option um, for somebody? Yeah, the part, so the first thing I would say on the, on the first question is, um, is that it, most of the time it is not a bedroom issue. It's related to the rest of your marriage relationship. And so, you know, Kevin Lehman says sex doesn't start in the bedroom, it starts in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. I don't think he means literally. I think he means it may, maybe literally, but most of the time it's figuratively in the way you serve one another, the way you communicate, the way you conflict. And so most of the time it's not, it's not a bedroom issue per se. It's mm-hmm. the way you treat one another. Are you loving your wife? Is she respecting you? And most of the time you need to address those issues. Now, that, that being said, there are... There are issues that absolutely can take place in the bedroom. And so that's where you get with the community, you talk through it, you see what great Christian books have to say, what God's Word has to say, what the church would say. But one solution is pornography does not have any place in the bedroom, in the marriage, in the home. That is often thought of as, hey, this is what's going to bring a spark into the bedroom. Mm-hmm. And it is just a false... Uh, Absolutely, it's garbage to think that pornography is going to build intimacy in a relationship when it actually it does everything to tear intimacy apart. Is that me? I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I think that, um, you know, again, it's, it's all about having our minds rightly aligned with what God intended. And so, you know, if... if uh, and again, I, you know, Lucina and I... I don't want to get too personal. You know, we're we're in our fifties, and so it looks different, and and the the drive looks different. Mm-hmm. But the fulfillment is not dependent on how sexually satisfying. I, I mean, I am I am satisfied in my wife. You know, and just I, I drink deeply from the relationship that God's given me. That's that's an element of it. And even though it looks different, and so anytime you know, for me, it, it would be hard. You know, I'm focused on. Uh, uh, again, you know, leading in the marriage is all about taking initiative, and so everything in, in every realm, and that includes, you know, how can I pleasure, encourage, uh, you know, what are the things that my wife enjoys, and uh, whatever category they fall into, and so uh, it's never about self gratification. I, I love how you know, in in uh, replete through. Through Scripture, and, and you see it again in Romans 15, where you know where you're talking about just the flexibility we have. Well, Christ didn't do what He pleased, but He denied Himself. You see that in Philippians 2. You know, you see it in in Titus 3. And so it's a denial. And so denying myself, doing what pleasures, and investing, giving myself for my wife. So you know, pornography, masturbation is all about self pleasuring myself. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just think. To try and 
justify that? I, I don't, you know, even if, well, what if you're thinking about your wife? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, so help me understand, I'm thinking about her, how is this, it still sounds like it's about pleasure in me, you know, I'm right. just, my focus maybe has changed a little bit. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that's where it gets very, very problematic. Mm-hmm. So, um, maybe let's return to that question. So what do you say to the guy? You know, who he's turned into pornography, he, he's turned into masturbation. Um, you know, he's he's even speaking to his wife, who doesn't seem to really understand his challenge, and he's crying out for help, going, "Hey, I, I'm not sexually satisfied. I'm frustrated. Now I'm finding myself spiraling out of control with this on again, off again balance between pornography and masturbation." What do you say to that guy? Yeah, I think it, it sort of starts with humbling himself mm-hmm. before his wife and, and uh, before those that he's harming in, in the sense of just confession and uh, acknowledging, that, hey, look, this is um, you know, where I've been, how I'm harming myself and how I'm harming others. Uh, and, and I'm broken over that, and uh, and then even in in that same breath to be taking a, a good look in the mirror uh, of going, okay, what what am I doing to contribute to perhaps a lack of intimacy? Because we always, I mean, it's just we are so wired to go, it's it's them, it's them, and, and and anything I can do to take the focus off of myself and where I am falling short, I will do it every day and twice on Sunday, mm-hmm. you know. And so, and instead of that to humbly look at ourselves and go, okay, what am I doing? How could I be serving her better? How could I be sacrificing and and laying down my life for her today and then again tomorrow and and acknowledging when I fail at that um, and and just beginning to do that. And then, you know, we talked about earlier just the the value of community, which is uh, having others in your life who do have that freedom to speak into um, that sexual relationship, even and the, mm-hmm. the intimacy that is there, and so having you know wives that can speak into my uh, wife's life and say, "Hey, Brandy, you know we understand this is a struggle in your marriage," or, or men that would speak into uh, into my life and, uh, and and just to know that about each other, because again, we're just man, we are so blind. We are the blind leading the blind, oftentimes, and we need someone outside of ourselves to look in to help us to see what we just can't see. On our own because our sin nature is so we just have this fog over our eyes so so let's flip it now so what, what do you say to the wife who looks at this and goes I just don't get it I don't understand it this seems strange I don't understand why my husband struggles with pornography masturbation but what do you what do you say to her so you know one thing I, and I I hope I don't get in trouble for this one but um, we are we are consistently getting on guys for leading the relationship and honoring their wives with their eyes. And those are all right things that we need to do and to love their wives and cherish their wives. I think we often let women off easily in this. And that they have a role as well that they are to pursue their husbands, be intimate with their husbands. Uh, it's, a, it's a one-stop shop is the way we talk about it. My outlet for intimacy is Kristen Kadersha and that is it. Mm-hmm. And so it, it doesn't mean that, um, that if she doesn't, satisfy me sexually that I'm allowed to go somewhere else but there's a there's a responsibility in that that she needs to pursue me and fulfill me and pleasure me and not a, not in a way that that's selfish but in a way that builds intimacy in the way that God has designed God has given me one woman and she and he has given Christian one man to satisfy her and so there's responsibility for both of us man and woman we got 2 minutes I'd love just to let each of you have you know uh, a minute or so just to clarify or add anything you'd like to on any of the subjects we just we just discussed so I'll add one thing on the cohabitation piece and so we, we all know people who are living together and and I, I would just say there's a responsibility that we have to address that that is not just the church's issue to address or Scott Kadersha, West Butler, Kyle Thompson, Blake as the pastors in the church I would just encourage y'all as you interact with friends and coworkers who are living together tell them to come speak to us you go speak to them and address the issue tell them this isn't God's best for you because I think this is one of the things that is absolutely changing the way that the marriage is messed up and relationships are messed up and sexual intimacy and pregnancy before marriage four out of every ten kids are going to be born this year without a mom and a dad in the home and many of those are because couples are living together and so I'd say be the church and have those conversations and love them well uh, and address that sin in their lives. 
Yeah, I w- so just um, completely shifting gears. On, on the divorce piece, uh, you know, Kyle alluded to this kind of get-out-of-jail-free card uh, idea. And, and so one of the things that, that I say to individuals often is they, they do. They want to come in and they want to say, hey, look, here, here's my case. And so, you know, don't you think that I have the right to divorce this person? I mean, there's been adultery or there's been abuse or there's been abandonment. And, uh, and so what I, I constantly point them back to is Philippians 2 and the model that Christ has given us, which is, look, uh, the Christian life is not about your rights. Um, if anything, it's about giving up your rights. Because as we look at Philippians 2 where Paul commands us, hey, follow Christ. And then he says, hey, this is what it looked like, that though he was in the very nature God, he gave up all of his rights as God in order to come and to sacrifice and love you. And so, so often what we want is we want to go, well, what are my rights as a husband? And so whether that's in sex and we go, well, look, you know, 1 Corinthians 6 says that I have a right to my wife's body. Right. And, and she can't withhold from me. Or, hey, look, first Corinthians seven says I have a right to divorce or Matthew 19 tells me I have a right to divorce. And yet the responsibility to love for the Christian always outweighs the right to you fill in the blank, whatever you think it is. And so if we are following Christ and if we call ourselves Christ followers, it is always an issue of love and not of our rights. Mm-hmm. And just. To wrap up, I mean, I'm going to say what I've already said a little bit, and that is, man, uh, you know, marriage is worth it. And so if you guys, uh, you know, I, I'm, I feel like I'm the luckiest man in the world. And I, I say that uh, not because Lucina and I are perfect or because I married the perfect person or because I was so discerning, you know, when I pursued marriage that I found someone that was my life made and perfectly fit all this stuff and she qualifies for all that uh, I don't but it's just man th- this is where I, I think you know one, one verse we spent time with a couple of weeks ago the second chronicle 69 the eyes of the Lord go to and fro seeking to fully support those that are his and that's in every aspect of life and so I, I don't care you know what your wife looks like I don't care what your history is I don't care what dysfunction that you have man God has got it, it's a great gift for you, and it's a picture of, of as as these guys have said, the relationship that we have with Him. And so, man, don't look for the trap doors. Go all in. And I know it's hard, you know, and it's not what I feel like doing a lot of times. And it's reminded. The more I drink from that, the more I think, man, I want to do. God, God set me up, you know, for great stuff. And so it makes me want to do what He says more and more and more. And so we are we're in a sweet time of life, you know. We're empty nesters our kids are gone and you know I, 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 I said this I know uh, earlier today you know our sex life is unbelievable and it's because of the richness of the relationship you know it's, it's, it's just an outgrowth but I, I could say that about every aspect you know our, our closeness relationally is unbelievable our, the ways we work through conflict is unbelievable you know the ways that Lucina encourages and submits to me is unbelievable and, but I know I know I can do better, you know. And so, man, just lean, lean into it. God loves you, and uh, He wants you to trust Him, and He's got abundant life for you. That's great. Yeah. Well, as I, as I mentioned when you walked in, we gave you a little resource page there, and having um, touched on as many topics as we have, um, I imagine we may have uh, caused you to ask more questions than even answered them. But what we want to do is put good resources in your hands, point you to some books, point you to some message series, and then also let you know just a little bit about the, the ministries that we have. We have a ton of resources and time and ministries that are focused on helping you in your marriage and dating and um, and then even then how to pick up the pieces after uh, a broken marriage. And I'm just going to give Scott 30 seconds and Wes 30 seconds and allow them to speak on um, just what we're doing as far as how to care for couples. So. Yeah, so these three of these are listed, the top three, and then Wes is going to cover the last one. These are resources and ministries at this church. You are fortunate to be a part of, I'd say this humbly, just we have the, the best marriage ministry in the country is a Watermark Community Church. That's what everyone is saying. And largely because we're staffed well and we have amazing couples who lead within the marriage ministry. And so re-engage, safest place to work on your marriage. Every single Wednesday night meets over in the loft at 630 whether your marriage is in crisis or you just need to be enriched, re-engage Wednesday night. Great place to invite friends. Foundation groups are small groups for newly married couples. 
to help couples that are just married to set their, their marriage on the right foundation. And so we kick those out four times a year. You can find info online. And then Merge is our primary class. Cool thing about it is that about 40% of our couples are non-watermark. We've got believers, non-believers. Very safe invite, an eight-week look into what the Bible says about marriage and relationships. We go all in to try to break them up or to set them up for success. If you go to dallasmarriage.org, would be the, the right place to send any friend to to get more information on any of those three. Yeah, and then divorce care uh, really exists, as Blake said, for those who uh, have been through or are going through a divorce. And so we have folks in there that, uh, you know, we had a, a gal show up this week. She'd been separated for two days, uh, and it was that fresh. And then we had other people that showed up that have been divorced for, you know, 15, 20 years, some of them. And so wherever that is, whatever part of their story, that's an opportunity for them to come. And, and really all we do is we just point them back to Christ and, and to his love. And so a number of the folks who serve in there uh, are, are in here today. Uh, and then, you know, we didn't really talk about just the impacts of this redefinition of marriage on kids. Um, and, and so divorce care for kids and actually another, uh, we have a, a new ministry called Dealing with Divorce. that's for teenagers, kind of 6th to 12th grade, where they can come in and talk honestly. Honestly, just in the last couple of weeks, one of the sweetest moments of my ministry life was walking and standing on the outside of a door where there's 30 kids whose parents are getting a divorce or who have gone through a divorce. And some of our leaders who are uh, adult children of divorce just walking them through, hey, what makes you feel unsafe? And those kids having an opportunity to talk about, man, my parents' divorce makes me feel unsafe. And for them to, to have a safe place to express those things and to, uh, to heal now as opposed to what's always interesting is our leaders always say, and I don't know about the kids, but this is great for me as they're going back through divorce care for kids because it's stuff that nobody told them when they were 8 or 9 or 13 years old. And these kids are getting a chance to talk about it now. Yeah, and one of the reasons why we spend a little time on that is I really want to encourage you to be familiar with what we're offering at Watermark, even if it doesn't apply to you personally, that you can care for and point other folks that you know and work with some of these great resources. So, Kyle, I'm going to ask you to pray for us, and then when you're done, um, if you'd like to talk to us, if you'd like to unpack anything that was discussed, um, we'll be up here. Jim Wormberley is going to walk up, some other folks on staff, um, and would love just to spend some time answering any questions you have. So, Kyle, why don't you pray for us? And, be done. Great. Father, we do just thank you for just the ways you love us unconditionally, the ways you model uh, what it really means to love us to death, and uh, just the ways that uh, you made provision for us to have a relationship with you in a way that allows us to experience what you intended. And just apart from that, all of this is hopeless. And it's only as we are yielded to you uh, and I have a right relationship with you that we're able to be the husband or wife or uh, single guy or girl or whatever it might be uh, that you intended. So I, I thank you for just uh, the ways that you uh, love us, the ways you want to set us up to experience life, and uh, again, the ways that you put us in the midst of other folks that are struggling, and uh, the ways you use others to help me as I struggle and encourage me. And so I, I do pray that you just help each of us as we go out to love the people that you put us around, that we would be more equipped. Uh, but more importantly, uh, just as you tell us uh, in First John 4, that we would lead in love with everything that we do. And apart from that, apart from you, we can do nothing. We thank you for Christ. Amen.